You're listening to The Tarot Diagnosis. I'm your host, Shannon. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and I also happen to have a love for tarot. Each episode, I invite you to reflect with me as I work to demystify the tarot and the human experience, all while exploring tarot's connection to mental and emotional health. While this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is not meant to take the place of psychotherapy. So grab your cards and join me as I work to create a pathway to better understand ourselves and those around us. Recently in the Tarot Diagnosis Community, the symposium, we had one of our monthly book club meetups where we were talking about and analyzing the chariot through the work of T. Susan Chang and M.M. Maline in their book, Tarot Deciphered. It was such a nerdy and fulfilling discussion. And by the end of it, we were all just sitting there like, damn, (laughs) we never would have thought to view the chariot as an archetype of having so much emotional depth. So I knew the chariot was coming up and was coming up as a focus for the podcast. And I had recently also asked folks on Instagram what sort of topics you all were interested in hearing on the podcast. And a lot of you said trauma. So you know, I was sitting there thinking, okay, how do I want to approach trauma? Because it's not just something that you can talk about <laughs> in like a 30 to 50 minute episode and really do it justice. So I'm all about a challenge though. So I feel like, you know, the chariot's coming up and I had this realization that it was actually this incredibly emotionally deep archetype. So I figured, let's just see what happens if we talk about trauma through the lens of the chariot and and a few other cards, because I'm going to, I'm going to pull some cards throughout the episode because I really, really miss kind of pulling and seeing what comes up. So I'm going to make sure I do that throughout today's episode and future episodes as well. One of the most common responses to trauma that I see clinically that I feel like we don't talk about enough is self-sabotage. And I feel like we talk about self-sabotage as its own standalone experience, but we don't typically talk about how it relates to trauma. And I think it's because it's not typically a behavior that most people would automatically associate with trauma, but it does often develop as a coping mechanism because it provides this false sense of control and security and comfort With self-sabotage, not only is there this false sense of safety and control, but also familiarity because with self-sabotage comes the ability to predict an outcome, which means we feel like we can have some sort of control over not only our nervous system, but also our environment and how we are experiencing the environment and how we are experiencing what's happening around us. If you really think about it, The idea of order, familiarity, and predictability are all key ingredients when it comes to feeling calm and regulated and and safe, really. And if we take a look at the cosmic connection of the moon to the chariot, we're reminded of the moon's predictability and its cyclical phases, which create our earthly sense of order and familiarity. And it's that same of predictability that our nervous system seeks and craves, especially after experiencing some sort of trauma or even being triggered or activated by an anxiety-inducing event. And I think that was one of the kind of eye-opening experiences when we had this book club meetup was 
really peeling back the layers of the chariot and seeing how much emotional depth exists because of these other connections like the connection to the moon. Something that we typically attribute to the chariot is this forward movement. And with the forward movement and the underlying energy of control that's present in this archetype, it makes sense to pair it with the concept of trauma and the aftermath of trauma. Because when we experience something so dysregulating, and, and scary, we often become hypervigilant and then are on the lookout for anyone or anything that might resemble a situation that could put us in danger again or make us feel unsafe. So just like the chariot, we become ready to go at a moment's notice. And if we take a closer look at the imagery within the, the archetype of the chariot, we have two moon faces on the shoulder of the charioteer. We also have some heavy armor and then two different sphinxes. This really paints an image of what it's like to live with something like post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, or CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And when you've experienced trauma, you often find yourself oscillating between multiple conflicting emotions, especially the desire to be able to just live your life normally again. And then the other is often trying to combat this kind of ever lingering fear and pain of what was and what could potentially be. This experience is represented well within the the two moon faces on each shoulder of the charioteer because essentially it's depicting that, that same emotional duality that tends to accompany trauma that we then are forever carrying with us. And then it's our job to figure out how can we acknowledge that we're carrying that and what do we need to do with it? This is when we need to start looking through the lens of hypervigilance. So, you know, as these moons could reflect the the constant state of alertness that trauma survivors often find themselves in, there's this sense of watchfulness too that is kind of the opposite of hypervigilance. Because when we think of hypervigilance, we think of being tense and alert and on edge. But when you look at the moons, they're kind of calming and feel safe and protective. And I think that's the illusion that hypervigilance gives us that, well, if I'm on edge and I'm, I'm watchful, then I'll feel more stable and secure. But that level of hypervigilance and not really being able to understand the difference between being intentionally kind of watchful versus hypervigilant is overwhelming and can really take control of our nervous system because it means that we're constantly scanning our environment for potential threats, often even when we know intellectually we're safe because even a small sound, a scent, color, word, phrase can trigger a flashback or dysregulate our nervous system. And it's interesting because I feel like the more I sit here and I think about the impact of, or the impact of trauma and the aftermath of trauma while looking at the chariot, the more connections I'm finding. And it's, it's actually quite remarkable, especially since I would never have normally thought to discuss the chariot or view it as representing PTSD or CPTSD, but it really makes sense. And if we keep going, 
then we can also start talking about and examining the armor of the charioteer within the chariot archetype. So we know that armor is meant to protect us from any sort of external force or, or threat. And when we've experienced trauma, we create both metaphorical internal and external armor in order to protect ourselves. And this armor can manifest in a variety of forms like emotional detachment, stoicism, avoidance of connection, fearing vulnerability, or isolating ourselves from people, places, or things. That's when this protective armor can become a double-edged sword. Because on one hand, it's, it's shielding us from any sort of actual or perceived danger, but it can also lead to isolation and disconnection from not only our own emotional and physiological experience and, and well-being, but also connection to others who are likely going to be pivotal to our healing process. So then the challenge really lies in finding a balance between self-protection and self-preservation and allowing space for that vulnerability. And I think that's a struggle that could be represented by the charioteer's attempt and desire to steer and control the chariot and the sphinxes or control the direction that they take off in. And with trauma, there's this urge to protect and, and feel safe. And it's this really intense pull and drive. So to counteract that with a pulling from the other direction, if we look at these sphinxes, is incredibly mentally and physically draining. All right, let's pull some cards and see what comes up as we continue to contemplate the ways in which the effects of trauma can show up for us. So I'm using the Raven's Dream Tarot by MJ Cullinane, which shuffles like a dream, by the way. I love shuffling this deck. I'm going to be referencing traditional imagery as well because the Raven's Dream Tarot um, strays pretty far from traditional imagery. So I'll still discuss what I'm looking at, but I think it's important to also discuss the traditional imagery as well. The Nine of Wands. So I just want to, I want to share what this looks like in the Raven's Dream Tarot. And it's uh, a raven hovering over a nest of, of eggs and then two other potentially birds of prey hovering over. There's a moon in the distance and the raven's mouth is open. So there's definitely this feeling of protection and guardedness that I think exists also within the traditional imagery. So it's actually interesting looking at the raven's dream tarot imagery because we don't know that these two birds above are trying to get at the raven's nest. There's maybe an assumption that there is, but we don't know for sure. And that's where I feel like having this discussion about trauma is important because trauma cr often creates this, this blurry line between safety and danger. And going back to the hypervigilance can cause seemingly benign situations to trigger intense emotional reactions. And I'm so glad that I decided to use the Raven's Dream Tarot for this because I feel like this is a fantastic depiction because we don't know that, again, that these 
other birds are going after this nest, but this raven is in protection mode and doesn't want something bad to happen. I mean, those birds could just be passing by, but this is a really powerful depiction of what happens when we've experienced a trauma. And this constant struggle to decipher the intentions of external stimuli can really lead us to a perpetual state of hypervigilance or suspiciousness. And it's interesting because I've always kind of gotten a suspicious vibe from the person in the traditional uh, Rider Waite Nine of Wands imagery because they look distressed. They look like they're kind of like suspiciously looking, looking about. And that same energy is present in the Raven's Dream Tarot. This raven is very suspicious of these other birds flying around. And if we connect this back to the chariot, we're reminded of the pretty intense job that's inherent within the charioteer to have to now navigate these blurry lines and learn how to travel alongside them. It's a powerful reminder, really, that the role of the chariot is not easy when you consider how it could portray this daily challenge of living with PTSD or CPTSD and the need to function and navigate in a world that could trigger some of our deepest core wounds without any sort of warning. Something else worth exploring is the physiological and somatic component of trauma. It's so easy for us to fall into the trap of intellectualizing our trauma when we also need to be focusing on the physical release of it. I've been spending a lot of time over the last several years researching ways trauma is stored in our bodies. And it's been both fascinating and also really saddening. But there are some incredible healers out there finding ways to help us release trauma that's stored within our bodies and give our physical being a bit of a break from carrying the heaviness of this. And thinking about the chariot, all of these layers of the charioteer's body are hiding access to the inner parts that need tending to. It really puts kind of my own experience into perspective when I think about it. I've been in physical therapy post-surgery the last few months, and it's been wild to spend each week with a clinician who is gently showing me how to be more in tune with certain parts of my body and more aware how more aware of how my own trauma feels when it's when it's not being released and also how to recognize how the release of that stored trauma feels and that process is going to look different for everybody but i find that the first and really most accessible step to that process seems to be paying attention and noticing where you tend to hold the most tension in your body and then experimenting with different exercises to see what feels like a release to you, what feels nice, what provides the most relief. There's no one size fits all. And I think for all of us, it's probably going to be a collection of exercises and experiences, but I just wanted to make sure that I didn't get through this episode without at least touching on the importance of the physical and somatic response and attention that trauma deserves. Because we can sit here and talk all day about, you know, what trauma means and how it happens and how it changes our brain and causes us to think and behave differently. But 
if we also don't address the core physiological response, that's always going to exist and it's always going to cause us to revert back to something that we've been trying so hard to heal. Let's pull another card. The Nine of Cups, two nines. Fascinating. <laughs> I love MJ Colonine's artwork so much because I feel like it transports us to this mystical fairy wonderland. And the Nine of Cups is really no different. There's all kinds of creatures running about and beautiful fireflies and butterflies and water. And it's just, I mean, <laughs> when you, if you didn't know that this was in the Nine of Cups, I don't think I would ever assume or guess that it was the Nine of Cups because the the imagery here is so different from traditional imagery. And, and at the forefront of the card is a raven sitting on a, a branch and all of this stuff is kind of happening around them, which actually this is interesting. So this might seem odd, but stick with me. <laughs> so thinking about this imagery and the traditional imagery, I'm having two specific thoughts. First, I feel like this, this nine of cups gives us a different path to view the chariot in almost as as this reminder that the healing experience with trauma is not a linear journey, but actually a very complex multifaceted process with each cup representing an obstacle or a coping mechanism. And we might oscillate between cups throughout the process. It's this reminder to still be proud and celebrate ourselves, even when we feel like maybe we've taken a step back in the process. But even if we have, you know, quote unquote, taken a step back, the process is still happening, even when it's not on that linear trajectory. And I feel like this Raven Dreams Tarot actually depicts that nicely because it doesn't just show a line of nine cups. We're really kind of seeing a narrative and a story play out in the background here, which I think is pretty powerful. Speaking of a narrative playing out in the background, <laughs> the second thought I have about this card is, for me, it's really bringing up kind of this segue into a discussion on the concept of generational trauma. Because each cup or each experience in this narrative is representing a generation, a family dynamic, or a family experience that either you were a part of or indirectly a part of or not a part of it all. And it really kind of makes me want to then just bring the Ten of Cups into this discussion as well, since it comes next in the suit. And it tends to be the card that we associate most heavily with, with family and family dynamics. So the Raven Dreams Tarot's image of the Ten of Cups is, again, very different from the traditional imagery. This card has, it looks almost like there's like four, yeah, four or five different rainbow-esque images. There's a tree with a clear view of its roots into the ground. There's three wolves looking like they're on some type of journey. And then 10 crows in the middle of this tree. If we were to think more of the traditional imagery, you know, we think of the 10 of cups with you know, again, the rainbow, but how the rainbow is above with all 10 cups kind of on the rainbow and the seemingly content family below. And it's really a reminder of the healing process or the act of healing. 
and how the healing process doesn't mean that the trauma goes away. It still exists, but hopefully a bit more out of reach and maybe cushioned by that lovely rainbow overhead. So with generational trauma, which you might also see referred to as ancestral trauma or intergenerational trauma, we're talking about the emotional and psychological wounds that are passed down through generations. And it often stems from traumatic experiences that were endured by our family members or ancestors, which ended up having these really lasting impacts on the family members that then came after them. And those impacts happen over time based on emotional patterns, beliefs, and behaviors that influence the way our life plays out or the way that we live our life because of the interactions that we're having with other family members who either were directly a part of past trauma or indirectly a part of it, especially those who are even unaware that the trauma even existed in the past. That's why when you start kind of digging into your family or doing ancestor work, it can be really powerful and eye-opening to think, oh, I realize I do this thing or I am so opposed to this other thing or I have this really visceral, deep emotional reaction when I'm exposed to this other thing and I never had a reason why. And then you find out that something happened in your lineage that connects that really makes sense. And it can be really powerful to have that knowledge and know, okay, now I have an answer as to kind of why this behavior or emotional experience exists. So I want to take this back to the chariot now. Because I feel like this archetype represents not just our individual experience, like I was talking about earlier, but now that we're talking about generational trauma, it's also the carrying of the family and ancestral collective consciousness, simply because of the passing down of or exposure to these familial emotional wounds. It's really a reminder of that saying, wherever you go, there you are. But I want to be careful to make sure that it doesn't sound like I'm saying we're doomed because we absolutely are not. I think knowledge is power. And so really this discussion is about figuring out how trauma and the impacts of trauma, especially generational trauma, show up in our life. So going back to the Ten of Cups, in order to have that contentment that we see in the Ten of Cups, we also have to be willing to understand how this generational trauma influences the way that we navigate with the chariot and what exactly it is that we're carrying with us. Because all of that influences how we show up in relationships with other people and not just romantically, but platonically and professionally as well. Let's pull another card. Oh, wow. Three of pentacles. Okay. So this card really feels like the answer to that question of, okay, well now what am I supposed to do about it? So the Raven Dreams depiction of the Three of Pentacles again is very different. We see a raven and then we see uh, a tree with three pentacles inscribed on the tree. And then it almost looks like a woodpecker. Um, And then there's a moon in the background and lots of fireflies and some other lovely insects and clouds. So When it comes to working through trauma or generational trauma, I think that it's fitting to pull the Three of Pentacles right now. Typically, the Three of Pentacles is seen as a card of collective collaboration and recognition. This makes me think about 
patterns and the effects of trauma that might emerge as we enter into various types of relationships and the responsibility that we have to be aware of how we are showing up, participating in, and just overall feeling in those relationships. Being aware of what feels safe, unsafe, defensive, or, or triggering gives us insight into ways that we can work with folks who care about us in order to understand the patterns of either PTSD, CPTSD, or generational trauma, for example. And it really gives us an opportunity to work to edit that narrative so that moving forward, the same maladaptive patterns that maybe have been passed down are no longer continue to be passed down. It's really about allowing ourselves to break a cycle. This requires an open mind and Also surrounding ourselves with folks who are willing to be patient with us and understanding as this can be a really messy process with a lot of uncomfortable and intense conversations. And I know that I'm speaking about this as, you know, our experience in trauma, but this also goes for the people around us who are possibly working through their own experiences of trauma or generational trauma and how we have a responsibility to also be curious about their experiences to the extent that they're willing to share, of course, and also giving them that same patience and grace as they figure out how to break their own cycles and create new patterns. Speaking of narratives, the Three of Pentacles is also a reminder to share our stories and our experiences with people who are supportive and really want to help us on our life journey Because sometimes it isn't our family. Sometimes it's our friends or mentors or people who belong in the community that you're a part of. Sharing our experiences also allows us quite literally to have this trauma or this story exist outside of us for a little while. And that can be such a relief. And then on top of that, receiving comfort or validation that whatever we've gone through or experienced was in fact painful can also provide a pretty significant sense of relief, even if it's brief. Essentially though, by allowing ourselves to experience that, it gives us an opportunity to work to transform or edit this narrative of our own generational trauma or PTSD into one of healing allowing us also to guide future generations towards a more balanced and emotionally healthy existence and experience. Thank you so much for listening to The Tarot Diagnosis. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok under the handle at The Tarot Diagnosis and join us while we pull daily cards and explore tarot and mental health in between podcast episodes. You can also subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you have a topic or question that you'd like for us to explore on the podcast, you can contact us directly on our website, www.thetarotdiagnosis.com. 